Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we've been praying for you to experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. I'm Chris Boyd, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, equip, and encourage people to become more like Jesus. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives, learning to live like Him, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of His followers. Well. This is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Well, welcome to week one of As the World Burns. That's kind of what it feels like to me. Anyone else? As Christ followers, I guess that many of us have wondered if this isn't it. Though we've been living in the end time since the birth of the church in the first century, are we now on the precipice of the end of the end? Are we teetering into the days of revelation and the tribulation? Can we know? And if we are... What does that mean for us? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Everywhere we look, we see the evidence of people stumbling around in darkness. The consequences of sin always lead to hate and division. And right now, all of that hate and division is focused on the war in Israel. Although it isn't confined to Israel, that hate is spilling over into the streets of many Western cities. On October 7th, the terrorist group known as Hamas broke a peace treaty as they launched a carefully planned attack on over 20 communities in Israel. They brutally murdered around 1,200 people, including 30 Americans, and injured more than 5,400 others, before retreating into Gaza with 239 hostages. Now, before we go any further, I, th I feel like it's necessary to put some guardrails up to protect the rest of our conversation. We live in a world of 30-second sound bites. And those 30-second sound bites tend to push everything to the extremes in either direction. 
And when you, when you push everything to the extremes in order to gain another like or follower, you end up flattening very complex situations into either or propositions. Everyone on this side, whatever the issue, becomes good and everyone on that side becomes bad. Very few things in life are that simple. As Christ followers, we must cling to a perspective that no other people in the world can begin to understand. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, meaning that, only, that those who follow Christ are the only ones who can see the world for what it really is. And here's what is true. At either extreme, we are still talking about people created in the image of God. What Hamas did was evil. It was inspired by the pit of hell, uh, by the pit of hell itself, and I pray that every Hamas terrorist surrenders to Jesus before they see Jesus face to face, as the nation of Israel rightly defends the safety and security of its people. At the same time, as Christ followers, we must resist the idea that Hamas represents all Palestinians. Approximately 11% of Palestinians are our brothers and sisters in Christ, including about 1,000 in, uh, in Gaza. The other 89%, along with approximately 98% of the Jewish population, and most of the thousands marching around the world, whether they marching in support of Palestine or Israel, are people created in the image of God who need Jesus to heal their blindness. This is one of the longest-running spiritual battles in history. Since God chose Abraham and later made Jerusalem the city of God from which the millennial kingdom will be ruled, Satan has been trying to make God a liar. It's a battle that will only be finished when Jesus returns to rule forever. Until that day, we pray. That's how we fight the battle from right here in Salem and Kaiser or wherever you are watching, on our knees. What we are experiencing in the physical world right now are just symptoms spilling over from the spiritual realm. As Christ followers, we're the only ones who understand what's really going on, where the real battle is being fought. Apart from Christ, no one else on this planet is fighting the battle where it matters most, in the heavenlies. We have the privilege of fighting there when we pray. Now, with that said, back to the question we're all asking, is this it? Is this the end of the end? J. Barton Payne's Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy lists 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. 1,230 of, 1,239 of those are in the Old Testament and 578 in the New Testament. Though I suggest you hold loosely to these numbers, uh, it could be higher or lower. Scholars don't always agree. Just over 350 of those prophecies concern the birth, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. All of those prophecies fulfilled to the letter. In fact, every, Bible, every prophecy in the Bible that has been fulfilled has been fulfilled to the letter, down to the actual day. Because scholars come up with different numbers, 
including a branch of Christianity that believes every prophecy has already been fulfilled, my best guess as to the number of prophecies left to be fulfilled is around 500. These are end-time prophecies, the churchy word for which is eschatology. But because 1,300-ish prophecies have already been fulfilled to the letter, we know with absolute certainty that the remaining ones will be as well. Now, we find one of those prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, Daniel, of Daniel and the Lion's Den fame, was, was given a prophecy concerning, concerning the end times that we call Daniel's 70th week. The 70th week is what we often refer to as the Great Tribulation, a period of seven years, the last seven years before Jesus returns as the conquering king. It will begin with the signing of a seven-year treaty, which will bring peace to Israel. That treaty will be brokered by the Antichrist. Three and a half years into Daniel's 70th week, he will enter the temple, which is not currently built. All of the pieces are ready and waiting to be assembled, but it's not there yet. But it will be built, uh, maybe because of a clause in the seven-year peace treaty, but three and a half years into Daniel's 70th week, the Antichrist will stop the Jewish sacrifices and will proclaim himself God. Technically, even though we call those seven years the Great Tribulation, the Great Tribulation is really the first half. Called the Great Tribulation because the Antichrist will wage war against the saints, making many martyrs. The second half is the wrath of God half, where God pours out his wrath on the nations. Now, for those of you who have studied this in depth, I know that I am simplifying a very complex set of prophecies. I just want to give enough background so that we're all on the same page. That a seven-year peace treaty with Israel will be needed indicates that someone will be at war with them. Most Bible scholars agree that Ezekiel prophesies about this war in chapters 38 and 39 in his book in the Old Testament. They call it the war of Gog and Magog. We know them as the modern-day nations of Russia, China, Iran, and most of the other Muslim nations around the Middle East and Africa. When these nations come together to crush Israel, Ezekiel tells us that God will supernaturally protect the Israelites. He writes uh, this in Ezekiel chapter 38, beginning in verse 18. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. When Gog invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel on that day. All living things, the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people on earth will quake in terror at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down. Cliffs will crumble. Walls will fall to the earth. I will summon the sword against you on all the hills of Israel, says the sovereign Lord. Your men will turn their swords against each other. I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstones, fire, and burning sulfur. 
In this way, I will show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This supernatural demonstration of God's protection of Israel will devastate these nations and bring them to the table to discuss a peace treaty. So the the question we have to ask is, is this Ezekiel's war? If it is, we are precariously close to Daniel's 70th week. And the short answer is, we don't know. At this moment in time, though Russia, China, and Iran are clearly rattling their sabers behind the scenes, to this point their involvement's been from afar. And the other nations haven't gotten involved either, so it's really too early to tell. It could be. It might not be. The longer this war goes on, the more likely the other players will begin to step up their involvement. So it it definitely could be the rumblings of Ezekiel's war. What's interesting is that the disciples were just as curious as we are about the end of times, and they asked Jesus about it. His answer is recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So let's look at what he had to say uh, as recorded by Matthew in Matthew chapter 24. We've got a lot of scripture today. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds where he had been teaching the crowds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, as a side note, this prophecy of Jesus, uh, one that no one thought at the time that would ever happen, was fulfilled about 40 years later in AD 70. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. Now, this is called the Olivet Discourse. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all of this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Okay, now let's pause for a moment. Many scholars believe that what follows is a description of what will happen during Daniel's 70th week. At this point, the context was Jewish. And two-thirds of this section clearly occurs during Daniel's 70th week. The church hadn't been birthed yet, and the theology of the rapture wasn't a theology yet. Uh, We'll get back to that next week. So if you don't know what I mean by that term, we'll see you next week. So Jesus' words here are probably directed toward the Jewish nation and those who will believe during Daniel's 70th week. But at least the first section could apply to the Jewish nation and the broader church, which would include us. I don't think so because of the overall context, but I wasn't there to ask Jesus to clarify in the moment. I'm old, but not that old. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. For end times experts, these two words, birth pains, are a clue that this is the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. 
The image of a woman giving birth is used in other parts of Scripture in that context. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and, be and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. So religious deception, wars, famines, death, martyrs, worldwide chaos, and worldwide preaching. If scholars are wrong about the, the time frame in these verses being Daniel's actual 70th week, then it's easy to see where the road uh, th that humanity is currently on is leading us. We see these birth pains all around us. And if scholars are right, then let's just call them Braxton Hicks. False labor pains that are still leading to the real thing. We just aren't in active labor yet. Now, here in verse 15, Jesus is definitely describing the middle of Daniel's 70th week. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. The sacrilege, sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. The Antichrist will enter the Holy of Holies and proclaim himself God. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Now, I don't think we can begin to understand how devastating the wrath of God will be during the last season of Daniel's 70th week. Over 50% of the world's population will die. The only saving grace will, because, will be because of God's great love and protection for his chosen. Those who come to a saving knowledge of Jesus during this time. Worldwide, the conditions will be so terrible that people will be looking everywhere for relief. Giving false prophets and fake Christs opportunities to deceive many. Then, if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or look, he is hiding here, don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then, at last... The sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. 
And there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world. From the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. Now, in the Bible, the fig tree is often the symbol of Israel. So pay attention to Israel. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Now, though we don't know if the current war between Israel and Hamas will bleed into Ezekiel's war, it certainly feels like we are seeing branches bud and leaves begin to sprout. And yet, with that said, Jesus continues, However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Now, as I, as I said when we, when we started, we have been in the end times since the founding of the first century church. Many times, godly men and women thought that this was it, and it wasn't. What might set us apart from them is this. To the best we can tell, and we're not great at it, and there are many more prophecies than, than we've chatted about today. We haven't even cracked the book of Revelation, and it contains most of the prophecies. But to the best we can tell, this is the first time in history where everything that we believe will happen, can happen, could happen. For example, prophecy talks about a worldwide currency that will enable the powers that be to control the flow of all money, control who can buy what and who cannot. Just this fall, the G20, an intergovernmental forum of 19 countries, including the U.S. and the European and African unions, laid the groundwork to move their countries to a digital currency. That's never been technologically possible before. And given the advances in AI, there is clearly a path to using that currency to control people. Lots of Bible scholars and end times aficionados are watching these kinds of things and trying to connect the dots. But for the rest of the world, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Now, Jesus is talking about the end of the end, before the second coming, but after the rapture of the church. During Daniel's 70th week, as we see in verses 40 and 41, some people will perish in judgment, that is, be taken, while others will remain to enter into the millennial kingdom. Verse 42, so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, 
For the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So while the interpretation of this section relates to Israel during the tribulation, there is still truth for us in these last verses. Just as men and women at that time won't know when Jesus is returning, we don't know when he is coming for his church. There is nothing in prophecy that would keep him from coming at any time. And as I've said, we'll tackle that subject next week. But let's just assume for a moment that the end of the ends is just around the corner. Jesus could come and at any moment. These might be the last days you have to prepare yourself for what waits for you in eternity. And you're going to want to be prepared. That's one of the purposes of our becoming like Jesus now. He is preparing us for our eternal assignment. We will help him rule someday. Revelation 5 says that we will reign on the earth. 2 Corinthians 6 says that we will help judge the world. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. We live in a world that is already drawing lines that separate those who see from those who are blind. And those lines are already separating the faithful in Christ from the unfaithful. In 1 John chapter 2, the Apostle John writes these words. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists, lowercase a, have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. One of the heartbreaking results of COVID has been the de-churching of so many people. Across this nation, around the globe, every church has experienced this. People left and have never come back. This will happen more and more. The harder our culture makes it to live the Christian life, the more people with shallow spiritual roots will walk away. But you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you his spirit and all of you know the truth. So I am writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Here's our challenge in verse 24. So you must remain faithful. Faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And 
in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ. So that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. What do you want your finish line experience with Jesus to look like when he comes for you? Full of courage or shame? If we are merely a breath away from that moment, be faithful. Live faithfully. Deepen your roots while you can. Prioritize the priorities of God and get rid of the rest. And here's the thing. That's how we're supposed to live anyway. None of this information should change one thing about the way you live. And if you are already living faithfully, it won't. But if you aren't, there's still time. Until that time, here's how I'm going to live. I'm going to love who Jesus loves. And I'm going to hate what Jesus hates. Since Jesus doesn't hate whose... That means I'm going to love everyone I can, even those who don't think like I think. Even when their what is evil, I'm still going to do my best to love them with all of my heart, soul, and strength. And I'm going to hate sin and evil with all of my heart, soul, and strength. And I know that things are going to only get worse. Things will get harder and harder for those who follow Christ. I'm not going to worry or fear. I know God's got this one covered. I've read the end of the book. So I will boldly approach the throne of grace and find grace and mercy when I need it. And I'm going to head to the battlefield as I pray that Jesus frustrates the plans of the enemy on every front as he opens the eyes of the blind. Next week we'll dig a little deeper, but for now, let's pray. You know, it's entirely possible that in this room and watching online that there are people you might be walking in blindness and God is calling you to step into the light. Now is the time to make that choice. Now is the time to choose Jesus. And all you have to do is say yes. Yes, Jesus, I surrender to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me for all of my sins and lead me in the, in the, on the path of truth for the rest of my life. Don't delay. There will come a time when it is too late. For the rest of us, for those who, who already follow Jesus, God, make us faithful. 
deepen our roots so that when the days get hard, our roots are deep enough to feed us and keep us from walking away. And Father, we do pray that you would frustrate the plans of the enemy. That more and more people would come to know Jesus as their Savior and begin to live their eternal life even today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We counted a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who call Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives and they want to pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God would give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of His kingdom. One more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.